The Classic Comics Forum Podcast presents issue number 16, Avengers number 16 through 28, Cap's Kooky Quartet, part two. Welcome back to the Classic Comics Forum Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Scott Harris, and today I'll once again be joined by Hoosier X for the second part of our two-part look at the seminal run of Avengers number 16 through 28, better known among comic book fans as Cap's Kooky Quartet. Last episode, Hoosier X and I examined the genesis of Cap's Kooky Quartet, where Stan Lee boldly wrote all of his main characters out of the series and replaced them with supervillains. And we also looked at the first four issues of the run, number 16 through 19, leaving off on an epic cliffhanger where Captain America has seemingly jumped to his death rather than let the Avengers be defeated by the Swordsmen. So without further ado, we're going to pick up right where we left off with Avengers number 20. Hope you enjoy. things I really love about this whole scene is that despite all the fighting and the bickering is that Captain America has complete and full faith that they're going to figure out how to save him. Now, I'm not sure if he has it specifically figured out, but he he thinks they can do it and just doesn't even hardly hesitate, just throws himself off of the girder. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a really cool moment where you see in action like his confidence in the other team members, even though they've been at each other's throats the whole time. Uh, and they come through, you know, Hawkeye shoots his thing and then... Quicksilver the- grabs the grabs the antenna and swirls it around and makes a little like a tornado thing that keeps Cap from falling as fast. And then Wanda hexes, which causes a whole bunch of rivets to fall out so that a, one, of the, one of the supporting girders falls over so Cap can grab it. And then uh, Cap shoots his little suction cup arrow with the line on it and Quicksilver... Swings down and throws Cap his shield. So now Cap has his shield. It's it's interesting. Like um, we don't really see Quicksilver do many like flash type tricks with his super speed. Usually he just runs around and punches people. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not particularly good at that either, as we're gonna see in some of the later (laughs) issues. But he comes through here and uh, they save Cap and they're all like, "Okay, Swordsman, your ass is grass." And then all of a sudden, Swordsman just completely vanishes. Yeah. And it turns out he's been whisked away by the Mandarin. That's another one of the reasons why I love this and why and why I loved it back then because I was I was usually buying Tales of Suspense with Iron Man. I liked Iron Man so much, and the villain half the time is the Mandarin. And uh, and and it was so great back then that like. Tells of Suspense number 80 would be almost meant for like a dollar back in the 70s. So I had I had almost all those Tells of Suspense issues with Iron Man in it. And then I, when I read this, and I, it was like maybe a year later, and there's the Mandarin again. And that's another one of the reasons why I really love this. With that, with that uh, Don Heck and, and Wally Wood is inking now. Yeah, and Wally Wood's inks are great. The cover of issue 20 is, is, a, is really cool. Uh, with Captain America falling off the building. I've always liked that cover quite a bit. So the Mandarin has swordsmen, and Mandarin's like, okay, we're going to make you really cool. I'm going to give you this special sword now that has, like, all these... You, sh- you can shoot a bunch of different beams out of it, just like my rings. <laughs> and I've got this hologram, basically, of Iron Man. I'm just going to send to the Avengers, and uh, I'm going to convince them to let you rejoin them. And once you rejoin them, you're going to set a bomb and blow them all up. And so that's what they do. He sends this uh, hologram, basically, of Iron Man and is like, oh, yeah, I sent the swordsman to you earlier, you know, just to to prove himself, but you attacked him, which is 
totally not what it happened. It was just a big misunderstanding. Yeah, it's like, you weren't even I, there, Iron Man. What are you talking about? But then Hawkeye's, like, attacking him, going, oh, yeah, who's Iron Man? And Captain America is, like, you know, still got a big grudge against Hawkeye, so that makes him want to just fight with Hawkeye about, how dare you talk about one of the original Avengers like that? If Iron Man says that Swordsman is okay, even though he just, like, you know, made me jump off a building, then you just need to shut up. And Swordsman is going to be an Avenger. Yeah, I thought, you know, what really came to mind for this is, um, you know, many, many years later in in Avengers, I think it happened during the fight with Count Nefaria in like issue 165. Um, the government liaison, Henry Peter Gyrich, shows up at Avengers Mansion and they're right in the middle of a fight and there's a hole in the wall. And he just walks in and like accesses all of their files. And he's like, you know, your security here sucks. Um, and they put in all these new security measures at Avengers Mansion. They have to like jump through all these hoops. Whenever they like have a new member, they have to be like, completely vetted by the government and all this stuff. I'm reading <laughs> this issue and I'm thinking, so a random picture of Iron Man not shows a bad up. I- not a bad idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, well, if something that looks kind of like Iron Man just tells us to let a supervillain onto the team, I guess we have to do it. <laughs> yeah, especially if Hawkeye's against it. <laughs> So everything goes according to plan, but then Mandarin changes the plan. They were supposed to wait until Iron Man returns to the team, and then they were going to blow everybody up. But Mandarin's like, you know what? Why wait? Let's just blow everybody up now. If they blow them up, then that will bring Iron Man here. Yeah, that's what Mandarin thinks. And Swordsman's like, this isn't what I signed up for. Although, in fact, it's exactly what he signed up for. And it's too bad that he he will have to kill the Scarlet Witch because she is so beautiful. And, yeah. and would make a great mate for me, but I must kill her. Yeah, that 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 panel. I love her hair, by the way, in the original coloring. I I, I like the way they could do it. That kind of a the blue gray because so she's brunette uh, in the the original coloring. Right. And then apparently she was a redhead in the X Men. And I, I guess at some point when Roy Thomas started writing, he said, "Well, isn't part of the reason she's the Scarlet Witch is because of her red hair?" Uh, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure when they went back to that. But I've, one of the things I really do like about uh, the uh, Caps Cuckoo Quartet is um, the Scarlet Witch having that like that black hair. I found this uh, to be a little unbelievable. This uh, swordsman, like now that I have spent some time with them, I realize that the Scarlet Witch is hot, so I'm not going to kill them all. Sort of. Uh, I feel like Engelhart actually used this to good use much later when he brought Swordsman back as sort of a good guy with Mantis because he does sort of have the same sort of relationship with Mantis where he's like, he falls for this hot girl and then all of a sudden he wants to be a good guy. Right. And yet... In in the context of this story, just his thought balloons where he's like, uh, "She's too beautiful to be harmed." That's the that's the quote. At the bottom of uh, page seventeen in the story, he says, "I could take pride in a battle, in a victory in battle, but this is different. Even an enemy deserves a fighting chance. The swordsman cannot stoop to assassination." But that's the entire plan. Yeah, that was the whole plan. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the plan, buddy. I think that they're just getting really close to the end of the issue. The Avengers actually don't really do anything in this story to defeat Swordsman. He shows up with the bomb. They get suckered into letting him onto the team. And then he grabs the bomb and runs out with it. And they're all just standing around looking at each other like, what just happened? And if yeah. it for, wasn't for the Swordsman, they would all be dead. This would have been the last issue of the series. You see that a lot in the Silver Age Marvels where the last, uh, the last two or three pages... You know, just all of a sudden, they they resolve it really, really quickly. 
and I, and I think you know this this is a two part story, and I, and I this is like that time period where they're starting to have you know a lot more stories going on to like three and four parts. They they're not just wrapping them up just like that. I have noticed that as well, especially with the the earlier Silver Age stuff. The story will be clicking along, and then just just like in the last two panels, all of a sudden everything will end, and Stan will just have a bunch of really dense word balloons trying to explain why the story suddenly ended. <laughs> And because of the Marvel method, a lot, I think a lot of that might be the artist a little bit. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going along drawing. And, and, and a lot of the time, the artist is also plotting the story. And, and then, you know, here's the last two pages, and we have a few things to wrap up. Although I hadn't really noticed that as we were going through these issue, uh, issues of Avengers here. No, I agree. I think for the most part, these, these stories are starting to breathe a little bit more than the earlier ones. And speaking of breathing space, you wanted to talk about the Mandarin a little bit. The, uh, the Mandarin, when I was a kid, I, I was a really big Iron Man fan when I was a kid, even though um, I stopped reading it. I mean, I started reading it when the Mandarin didn't appear for a long time, but I was getting the, the back issues and Tells of Suspense, you know, those, those Tells of Suspense issues were like 10 years old or so. And, and, and I was buying a lot of them for like a dollar or two. And so I was reading all these Silver Age, uh, all these Silver Age uh, Mandarin stories. And I, and I, I really love the Mandarin. The, the purple and the green and uh, the way that he's like this, you know, this evil Asian warlord uh, who, who, I don't know, has his stronghold in some, you know, indiscriminate part of generic China. And, uh, you know, thinking a little bit more about this story, about how, uh, you know, how Marvel was, was expanding, you know, in, you know the, the villains, you know, the villains are expanding out from the stories where they're started. Uh, a lot of them are. Uh, you know, they're not just a villain for one hero. And uh, and the Mandarin seems like a kind of a strange choice to make him just a sort of a, a generic Marvel villain. But you know they have him here in the Avengers. With it's you know it's a plot against Iron Man. Um, but uh, you know he's the Iron Man's not even in this. It's a hologram, and he's now become a, a foe of all the Avengers. Uh, he's also become a kind of a foe of the, the Swordsman. You know, because the swordsman betrayed him, but that didn't really seem to bother them to bother the Mandarin too much in uh, Avengers Annual Number One, where the swordsman returns as one of the people working for him. And uh, I, I could also think of uh, uh, in the Hulk. Not long after the Hulk got his own comic book, the Mandarin appeared um, in like two separate like storylines because he was in I think it's Number One Hundred Seven and Number uh, Number One Hundred Eight. And then he teams up with the Sandman in, in Hulk number 113. And as I was flipping through number 20 just now, I noticed that the swordsman calls him Fu Manchu. It was like his, his derogatory nickname. And it reminds me that when the Mandarin teamed up with the Sandman in Hulk number 113, uh, the Sandman calls him Fu Manchu. And then he calls him Charlie Chan. And then uh, the Sandman seems kind of upset that he's, you know, he's, he's exhausted his, you know, ethnic stereotype like you know jokes to keep to call to keep calling him that i think you make an interesting point here in terms of i get the sense reading these issues that stan is kind of trying out different villains to see who works in the avengers we do have characters that have appeared before in avengers and sort of go on to become classic avengers villains like kang which we'll see in a little bit but we also get them fighting against Villains from kind of other characters who don't really end up sticking around that much. Like, first we have the Mole Man. In these issues, we get the Mandarin. And then later on, we're going to see Doctor Doom and then Atuma. Uh, it felt to me like Stan is kind of 
trying to figure out who exactly works as an Avengers villain, and some of them do, and, and as we're going to see, some of them don't. I think Mandarin, the Mandarin feels to me like a strange fit for Avengers. I can see the potential um, for him as sort of a mastermind, you know, pulling strings behind the scenes and stuff, but just as happy that he doesn't really appear again as an Avengers villain, because I don't feel like he's quite got the scale for that. I think he works better as an Iron Man villain. Okay, on to issue 21. So here we have the Enchantress coming back, and she's like, you know, I don't need the rest of the Masters of Evil. Um, I can just destroy the Avengers by myself. So she recruits a new stooge who she uh, imbues with a bunch of superpowers using the machine that they created Wonder Man with in issue 9. Yes, we go back to the you know the, the South American uh, complex where Baron Zemo had his laboratory. And, and Eric Jostin, the mercenary, is kind of wandering around, and he's afraid to leave the area because he'll be picked up because he's wanted by Interpol. He just doesn't really—he just really doesn't have any like anywhere to go. And all of a sudden, here's the Enchantress, you know, saying, "Oh, this guy's a perfect pawn. He's pretty desperate. I can probably get him to do what I want." I really like the exchange at the bottom of page, or all of page six, where after he gets his powers, the Entrantress is like, let's give you a costume and a code name. And he's like, that's really stupid, lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She doesn't, she's not offended, though. <laughs> well, she's not, and yet she does play a little bit of a trick on him by making him wear one of the ugliest costumes of the Silver Age. I uh, like the, the giant poofy sleeves and the yeah. shoulder pads, nine shades of brown. He's one of these uh, kind of like generic late Silver Age villains who would just kind of show up. I think I think you can kind of swordsman after his first appearance, and then before Steve Engler brings him back. Yeah, I think these two are on several like different teams that are put together by people like Batrock, and they they both work for uh, the Red Skull in a Tales to Astonish or Tales of Suspense story. Uh, where the I don't know beautiful art by Gil Kane, although I'm having trouble remembering the plot to it. Well, anytime you can see this glorious costume, it doesn't matter what the plot is. So the Enchantress actually has a pretty good scheme here. Her, her plan that's, is... That's in, that's in my notes. I, I, I specifically put, this is actually a really, really good plan. Yeah, she basically uses her magic to cause the Avengers to sort of hallucinate. They, they think they're seeing all these menaces around town, and in the process of defeating these imaginary menaces, they manage to trash half of New York City. There's some pretty cool sequences where they're chasing after these imaginary threats and they're like, they blow up a train and they wreck a building and... Um, yeah, Wanda's hex power goes right, goes right through the imaginary weird-looking uh, unicorn monster and destroys a, a, a fortunately a, a abandoned and condemned tenement building. That's probably the same building that the Hawkeye safe crashed into a couple issues ago. That's why it was a. That's why it was a condemned damage from a flying safe. Yeah, and and I think there's like the the, the plot of discrediting the heroes. That's just, that gets used an awful lot. I think in this case though, it it, it works a lot better than it, than it usually does, just because of you know who these you know these of uh, this group of Avengers. These guys, most of these guys were, were villains, you know, just three or four issues ago. So it's really easy to see, you know, people instead of going, the Fantastic Four have gone crazy. This has happened before. Doctor Doom is behind it. But this is, oh, yeah, it's the Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye and Quicksilver. They were like evil mutants and spies and wasn't Hawkeye running around with the Black Widow and she's a Russian spy. I don't think there's exactly dialogue like that, but it's there in the background. It certainly it certainly makes a lot more sense than when this plot gets used a lot of the rest of the time. Yeah, I, I, you make a good point here about how this is sort of 
a team that doesn't have uh, the city's love and respect. I mean, the vendors haven't been around that long anyway, but all the characters that the general populace appreciates, they've all gone away except for Captain America. Captain America has been in a mood lately. Anybody who's run into Captain America on the street is like, oh, geez, what's wrong with Cap? Yeah, he's still uh, probably upset that he was snubbed by Nick Fury after sending him that love letter. And he's just <laughs> moping all around town. But you're right. He's Captain America in these issues is really edgy. Like he he's he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's kind of a dick. And he pretty quickly gets taken out. They, they stage this scene where uh, they make it look like Power Man is is the good guy and Captain America seems to attack him for no reason and Power Man decks him and takes him right out. Yeah, this is this is Captain America as like a regular dude. One thing not... that uh, I wanted to mention is um, as I'm reading this like I'm seeing some parallels between this and uh, the scenes in Steve Englehart's Captain America run where they introduce Moonstone and they set out on this PR campaign to discredit Captain America. Um, I just talked about these issues with the captain on an earlier podcast, so it's really fresh in my memory. At that time, we kind of talked about how Englehart was really, it seemed very modern, his use of the public relations stuff, and, and that's true, but a lot of the plot elements to that story are actually very similar to what Stan's doing here almost a full decade earlier. So a cool thing that happens here is, you know, after Captain America gets defeated, there's like all these newspaper articles and Hawkeye sort of gives him the usual ribbing but right after that we get this sequence where all three of the other members of the Avengers individually take it upon themselves to go track down Power Man and and uh, avenge Captain America's defeat. I like the way that the Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch wait until after Hello Dolly. <laughs> yeah Hawkeye goes right there to fight to fight Power Man and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are like, it's really important. However, we've got these tickets to see Hello Dolly. Cause wasn't Carol Channing Carol fabulous, Pietro? Ch <laughs> Carol Channing, <laughs> fabulous. It, but it doesn't seem to occur to any of them to to get help. Like they all go individually without mentioning it to each other, which is kind of defeats the whole purpose of being in a team. Yeah, and they uh, they make sure that uh, Scarlet Witch goes last and doesn't really confront Power Man because, and that's because. She just points her finger and, and wins at the end of every issue, as you know, as we as we've seen several times in the last few issues, and they didn't really want to mess with that. So the cops come up and say, "Hey, uh, what are you doing around here, Scarlet Witch?" Yeah, after Power Man defeats Hawkeye and then Quicksilver in single combat, Scarlet Witch has one of the most anticlimactic battles of all time, where she's just standing outside the building and the police arrest her for loitering. <laughs> <laughs> but they're out on bail because of Tony Stark's deep pockets. Yeah, so. After that, the city is like, okay, this is the last straw. We've, we're The Avengers are clearly a menace, and uh, they've been acting outside the law the whole time, but we didn't care before for this. But now that they're aggressively loitering, we're going to <laughs> require that they disband the team. And that's where the issue ends with them with the team going, well, we got to disband. They're, they're, they're bothering respectful citizens like this mercenary who's wanted from Interpol. Yeah. Now, so we go to issue 22. I always like the cover of this issue. There's some really good covers in this era. Um, I'm not a, generally a fan of covers with the gray backgrounds because we get a lot of those that really kill the look. But this cover for 22, I, just, I like the figures. I think Enchantress looks really cool. Um, Marvel pop art productions. Yes, yeah, a pop art production. And it's still Wally Wood. And once again, the Avengers are arguing with each other at the beginning of the issue about disbanding. And uh, so they break up. That's it. Yeah, but not before several more pages of infighting for no apparent reason. I love that splash page. Wanda, they got a close-up of Wanda, and she I, she looks kind of like Elizabeth Taylor right there. Yeah, she does. 
basically Captain America is like, this is all clearly a frame up. We got to find out who's doing it. And the, and the rest of the team is like, oh, what difference does it make? We quit. Uh, and then we get a sequence where they try and find work uh, and in all show business fail terribly. Yeah. In show business. And of course, Quicksilver tries to get a job at a carnival and he can't even get a job as a circus freak. And, and Wanda uh, pretty faces are a dime a dozen in show business, sister. So why should I hire a guy with a hex power? But I can sing. And then he cuts her off. So can a canary. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't. I think this is the last time that they've ever said anything about Wanda wanting to be on the stage. I think so, too. I completely blanked about that. And uh, I sort of appreciate it in terms of just giving some character development to each of them. And uh, like that little, like on the flip side, this thing with Quicksilver in the circus, as I mentioned before, is the only character trait that he develops through this entire run of comics. And uh, yeah. whereas Wanda doesn't really need this because she gets more development, much more than her brother does. She's actually thinking and doing things um, as a person. So this sort of uh, little hook that they can hang stuff on that oh, she wants to be an actress, they don't really need it with her. Whereas the Quicksilver, I don't think Stan really has any idea who this guy is or why he's interesting. And so he just, he's like, he loves the circus, I guess. I've always kind of liked Quicksilver, but like, you know, thinking about like favorite Quicksilver appearances, it's more like I like the idea of the character than the actual character himself. So I had a really strange introduction to Quicksilver. It was in um, West Coast Avengers Annual 1, which crossed over into Avengers Annual 15. And it's a storyline where Quicksilver turns into a supervillain and reforms the Zodiac to take out the Avengers. And so... I did not read that. I don't, I don't think I was reading... I may not have been reading comics by then. It was just a strange introduction to the character. There was a lot of Avengers history that I learned through that storyline because it brought back all these old characters. But... So I, I was just basically introduced to Quicksilver as a villain and didn't discover him as a, an Avenger until I started reading these back issues. He started off as a villain, so I guess that's not too big of a heel turn. And in this issue, he might as well be a villain because his love of the circus leads the Avengers into certain doom because they end up getting hired by the Circus of Crime, who I have to assume, in terms of public performances, had changed their name from Circus of Crime because it's kind of a dead giveaway. <laughs> They, maybe they call it the Ringmaster's Circus. Yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a little note here uh, where they're talking about, uh, since serving our prison sentences, and then there's a note about for crimes committed in Spider-Man 22. Decide they're going to bring in the Avengers, and then they, they can use the Avengers as passes in their latest scheme. But that lasts, like, literally one page. Because when the Ringmaster tries to hypnotize the team, Quicksilver just runs around him, so his magic hat can't work. <laughs> So he can't see the hat, and then he just knocks him on his ass. Yeah, some, yeah. Quicksilver is immune to hypnotism just because he's because he's fast. And that I don't know. That doesn't really bother me. That doesn't make any less sense than you know Green Lantern being vulnerable to to wood or yellow or whatever. No, and it just kind of points out how limited Ringmaster's power is because <laughs> someone has to be standing directly in front of him, looking at his hat, in order for it to work. Um, so Quicksilver's just like, what if I step behind you? <laughs> <laughs> Oops! This and then Wanda yeah. Wanda hexes the clown. I love this <laughs> quote from the clown. Wanda hexes him. He goes down. And he says, "This is impossible. It can't be. I've been a top clown for years." <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's like, "How can the Avengers possibly defeat me? I'm a really good clown." <laughs> 
anyway, the Avengers win, but then the cops show up and they're like, here's the evil Avengers beating up on a bunch of uh, really uh, unfortunate clowns. So we got to stop them from ruining the circus. And the, the Avengers run off and... Yeah, and the ring, ringmaster is leading the cops in and pointing, saying, I told you, the Avengers attacked us. They're trying to rob my circus. We get a cool sequence here where everyone's sort of like debating. And what I really like is at the top of page 11, there's kids arguing about whether the Avengers are bad guys or not. And they're wearing the official Marvel merchandise T-shirts that were put out. I think it's 65. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we get a sort of a rundown where people are like, why don't the original Avengers come and take care of this and then they're like well iron man's in doing something in issue 72 of tales of suspense and thor's busy in thor 122 and giant man <laughs> says yeah. your guess is as good as ours <laughs> he doesn't even try yeah either like eh, giant man giant man's he doesn't have a series anymore he actually the reasons that they like changed the, the lineup don't even make any sense anymore for giant man and the wasp because they don't have their own series yeah, exactly. So then we get this fantastic ending to this story where Power Man and the <laughs> yeah, Enchantress are standing around and this uh, huckster, uh, like a PR guy, comes in, a press agent. He's like, you guys have what it takes. You know, uh, why don't we, we can merchandise you guys and you guys can become the new Avengers. And they're like, hey, this is a, this is a great idea. But then he's like. I like what Power Man calls him fatso. Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, you know, the general populace doesn't know this, but I was actually behind the team, you know, being destroyed. And uh, Power Man's like, that's a bunch of garbage. We're the ones that took down the Avengers. Of course, then <laughs> the PR agent just rips his fat suit off and it's Captain America inside. <laughs> I love the panel where he's ripping his shirt open and he's got the Captain America costume, but he's still wearing the he's fat ball mask. <laughs> <laughs> The, the balding the balding head, the little side fringe on the top of his head, the little mustache. And, and he has that over his Captain America mask. <laughs> That's great. So he, he spends a couple panels getting undressed. And then uh, they have a fight. And I like the way the Enchantress is kind of like, is real suspicious of this. Almost yeah. through the whole thing. And she gets really pissed off. Um, and so basically what happens is Power Man takes on the Captain America... Captain America wants to prove himself, except for Power Man still kind of wipes the floor with Cap. And the rest of the Avengers then show up. They're like, ha-ha, because uh, Cap has sent a signal to them. And they all answer the signal, and they have this big battle, and Power Man is basically like... Enchantress in the middle of the fight is like, you had your chance to kill Captain America, because at one point, I skipped a little bit, he had knocked out Captain America, but instead of killing him, he's just like, well, that takes care of that guy. The rest of the team shows up, and Captain America has time to recover, and now he's fighting the whole team. And Enchantress is just like, you should have killed Captain America when you had the chance. You're a weenie. I hate you. And then she teleports away. When she does that, Power Man's like, well, crap. I was only fighting because the Enchantress is really hot. I give up. Uh, it's kind of like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he has no real motive to keep fighting now. Yeah, the, the, I mean... The plot is done. Yeah, he's facing the full force of the Avengers. He does not have the protection of the Enchantress, so even if he does defeat all four of them, he's still wanted by Interpol. <laughs> yeah, so I felt like he actually had a lot of reasons to keep fighting here, but he doesn't. He's, he's heartbroken over this uh, woman who he just met and really didn't actually give him the time of day throughout the whole story. He's There's a couple places where he's trying to basically get in her pants, and she's just like, oh, you're silly. Well, she's, you know, she's the Enchantress. She's a Norse goddess. She probably just gives off this aura 
that even there's like you know women that are that beautiful that aren't goddesses can get that exact same response. Like, you know what I love about the enchantress in this? I mean, as, as many times as I've read some of these stories, I had never really noticed how they're kind of starting to set up the enchantress as you know sort of a major master villainess on her own. Because, you know, usually, you know, she was in the Masters of the Evil and Baron Zemo was in charge and she was partnering, partnering with the Executioner. And another thing I've noticed about the Enchantress is uh, I think she's she may be unique or almost unique in Silver Age Marvel for being just about the only uh, female villain who didn't, you know, become, you know, uh, become a superhero. You know, didn't didn't change over to the other side and become like a, a good guy or, you know, a good gal. After Power Man gives up, he's just like, well, I might as well go to prison for the rest of my life. What difference does it make? The city is like, they get this recording that Captain America had been making under his fat suit of, of Power Man confessing. And they rush it over to the authorities and the authorities are like, wow, we feel like assholes. Of course, the Avengers still did trash half the city, but uh, it was all a trick, so we forgive them. And they decide to throw Avengers Day in honor <laughs> of the team. Now, we're going to see Avengers Day is actually going to crop up a few more times over the years. They have another Avengers Day in issue 45, which is interrupted by the attack of uh, the super adaptoid. And then Kurt Busiek brought back Avengers Day in, in his run in the 90s in Avengers number 10. One thing that struck me when I was reading this is Captain America here, when he's in his fat suit and he's talking to them and he's like, he says, now that the, the Avengers disbanded, you guys can form your own team of Avengers and everyone will think you're superheroes. And when I read that, I was like, wait, is this where Kurt Busiek got the idea for Thunderbolts? Right, Thunderbolts. It's basically exactly that, where the Masters of Evil become the Avengers, while the Avengers are supposed to be dead. And so they they form the Thunderbolts, which is the team that takes the Avengers place and nobody, the general populace doesn't realize that they're all super villains that have just changed the way their costumes look. It's just like a whole scam. And I, I really wonder if that's where Busiek got that idea. So now we get to issues 23 and 24, which uh, I think are not only the best issues in this run, but some of the best issues of Avengers period, maybe the best silver age, let's say the best for me, the best silver age Avengers story. I, I like it a lot too. I'm not sure it can quite compete with how much I like number 19 and number 20, you know, because I read those when I was a kid and loved them so much. But being a little more objective, I, I think I would agree with you on that. Even though Wally Wood, it's not Wally Wood now. Well, it's not, but issue 23 is inked by John Romita, and I... These are, yeah, they're really good, too. Oh, man. In the uh, this omnibus edition I'm, I'm looking at, where it's on this, like, shiny paper, and it's all been cleaned up and stuff, it... It looks so much like his work, like Romita's work in the DC romance books of the mid '60s. Um, yeah. Some of these panels, like at the bottom of page three, where Captain America is um, just sort of gazing into the distance at, at twilight. Blue, the blue coloring because it's night, but it gets this like this whole feeling of sadness. Oh, it's right out of a romance book. That's like, how long will I be tortured by my memories? Will I ever be able to forget? So I had forgotten that at, at the end of issue twenty-two, even though they've had their names cleared, Captain America decides to quit the team anyway. He's like, "I'm done with this crap. I'm out of here." So the team at this point is Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch, and the, no Captain America. The Kooky Quartet is just the uh, I don't know the ridiculous three i don't know <laughs> ridiculous trio <laughs> <laughs> i can't really come up with a name so cap decides he's desperate for money now that he doesn't have a job um he's not just like getting handouts from tony stark so he goes uh, up to upstate new york and 
finds a job at a boxing camp where he's a sparring partner for the champ. And yeah, they only call him the champ. They never give him a name or anything. No. And while this is happening, Kang is like, this is it. This is my perfect opportunity. This will be, you know, the easiest time to defeat the Avengers. Now, he's going to be getting revenge on three people who've never done anything to him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And logically speaking, since he's in the future and he's a time traveler, like he could come. It's like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Well, actually, this moment has existed for you as like a fixed point. You can at any point in your career, you can go to that exact moment and fight these guys. So why didn't you go there the first time? One of the things I liked about Englert's uh, run, which, you know, I, I, I didn't read those giant size Avengers as they came out, but I was getting them as back issues. But he like kind of takes a look at like the guy can travel through time. He can just he can just attack the Avengers like over and over again every three or four issues and until you know he'll and with with the plan that eventually he'll win doing that. Yeah. It doesn't work out that way, but that's his but that's his plan. Yeah, I, I love Kang. He's my favorite villain in comics, and uh, I do like the Engelhard books. I think Busiek actually has the best. Uh, Kang stories for me but Engelhard definitely like keyed in on this idea like how does this guy ever lose like um, and we see why he loses in the Busiek issues that like that question that Engelhardt kind of poses Busiek answers 25 years later but I guess I'm getting a little off topic let's go back to this story which is Kang's third storyline in Avengers. He had appeared in issue 8. He appeared in a really goofy story in issue 11 where he had a Spider-Man robot based inside of an Aztec pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the less said about that one, the better. Um, but here, he is—he basically sends the signal to the Avengers and they open this door and when they go through the door, they've walked through a time oh, portal. He, in adds, he adds a floor. He adds a, an extra floor to the top of Avengers Mansion. Yeah, yeah, no one notices a new top And they don't floor. notice, they're like, uh, what is that? What is he? he, he lures them with something, some kind of like noise, or what is that noise? And they run up and all of a sudden they're like, uh, they're like, uh, hey, what the heck is this room? <laughs> I've never seen this room before. Where did it come from? They're like, is, is there, is there an indoor pool here really now? Oops. Nope, it's the future. Uh, so they're in the future and Kang's like, ha and then he just clocks all of them in one page. Cleans their clocks. Now, it turns out he's doing this to impress Ravana, and Ravana is the daughter of a king in this kingdom where Kang has taken over the kingdom, and he's left them as puppets, and he's basically like, uh, if you don't bend the knee to me, um, I've got my army outside your kingdom, I'm going to destroy you, but I really don't want to do that because I think Ravana is so beautiful, she's so amazing, I want her to love me, so... Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to convince you in a peaceful manner to marry me. And if you don't, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Ravana because Kang's, she's like, we'll never give in. But that's not quite the way she puts it. What she says is, I would never share the throne with a commoner. So when yeah. she says that, I'm like, I don't know. Part of me is rooting for Kang at this point. A horrible, awful tyrant, world conquering, time traveling tyrant. With a dumb head, you know, headpiece. I love the headpiece, but I, can you imagine, like, someone walking around like that? Even even in the fashions of whichever century this is. But but if, if he also just had, like, a little crown, she'd be totally fine with it. You know, it's not the fact that he's an evil, you know, world-conquering warlord. Anyway, uh, Ravana tells Kang to get bent. And meanwhile, in our timeline, Captain America hears that the Avengers have disappeared, so he rushes off to help. And... The Avengers are all being He kept breaks in. the champ's jaw, it kind of looks like. In the future, the Avengers 
uh, get free because Wanda uses her hex power to break the giant jars that they're being kept in. Just about to bring that up. There's hack. There's uh, Wanda and her hex, and the other uh, Hawkeye and uh, Quicksilver can't do make a dent in these weird little glass prisons that they're caught in. Wanda knocks it out. Just pow. Of course, then she can't do anything for the next issue and a half. So they, Kang is like, okay, they got out, but that's okay. I'm just going to kick their butts again. And he does. Uh, he captures Wanda and Hawkeye pretty quickly. Quicksilver escapes. Um, but before he can get around to finding Quicksilver, Captain America shows up. He has figured out what's happened, and he basically challenges Kang to confront him and Ravana overhears this and is like well if you don't I know you're a coward and so Kang's like okay you just said the magic words lady watch this and he beams Captain America to to his time period to fight him except Ravana smacks a switch and Captain America goes all higgledy-piggledy and somehow ends up landing like right in front of Quicksilver which is really handy and the two of them attack Kang, just the two of them, which is probably ill-advised. And Kang's like, look, look, this is all beside the point. All I'm really here for is Ravana. so let's all stop fighting. I've got a giant army that's going to destroy everything if Ravana doesn't marry me. And the Avengers pretty much are like, we'll keep fighting to the end. And Kang's like, all right, you sealed your own doom. And he orders his army to destroy the city and kill everybody. And that's where the issue ends. I thought it was a good setup issue. A lot of cool things happen, but it's really issue 24. That's the classic. One thing I wanted to mention is 23 has a great cover. Uh, 24, on the other hand, I, I've never liked these giant group shot covers with all these little figures. It's pretty It's pretty cool because you got the Avengers in the middle and they're totally surrounded by Kang's guys, but it's just so visually uh, all over the place for me that it just doesn't have the... the yeah, it's, power it's, of 23. it really just, uh, just almost completely doesn't work in contrast to Avengers number 23 because of how just how good Avengers 23 is. They've got, you know, this gigantic Kang, I guess because of the lighting, he's all orange and yellow. And, you know, he's like menacing these little tiny characters of the of the Avengers. One thing I wanted to mention in the omnibus here, there's an introduction from Stan Lee, and I think it's in the Masterworks as well, where he says that he viewed issue 23 as sort of a classic fairy tale story, where it's basically, it's kind of like Robin Hood, where there's this evil sheriff guy who's trying to pressure the princess into marrying him against her will, and then this band of merry men, rogues, show up to save her and sort of challenge, you know, the evil overlord. And I thought that was an interesting view on that. I mean, I guess Stan would know since he wrote it, if he could remember it. But in issue 24, we get something that's a, that's a little bit different. Uh, basically, what happens in issue 24 is Kang basically beams himself out of the courtyard back to lead his army and personally, and the Avengers lead this desperate last-ditch struggle to fight back and save the kingdom, and it's totally doomed because Kang's armies just cannot be stopped. They're so overwhelming. We don't have Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, uh, some of the really powerful people that came along later that as, as talented as they are, especially, you know, Wanda, Wanda's Hex, it's too bad she just used it a few pages ago to break open that glass prison because if she was at full power, I'm sure she could take out this army. Yeah, she probably could, but she doesn't. There's a panel here where after the defenses are broken down, a bunch of Kang's soldiers sneak into the palace and um, they take out Hawkeye, they take out Captain America, and Wanda thinks, uh, I'm not going to use my hex power. The longer I wait, the more potent it shall be later. So the Avengers are defeated again. Kang installs himself as king. However, there's a little... However, yeah. 
little insubordination in the ranks. Kang's because he doesn't. He the rule has always been to kill like the whole ruling family, but he and he doesn't. He doesn't. He won't kill Ravana because he's in love with her. Right. So his second in command is like Boltag, and Boltag convinces the rest of his guys to back him, and they're all like, "Yep, you've got to kill her, or, or else we're gonna mutiny." Their, their military uniforms are all based on Rock'em Sock'em robots, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should mention Dick Ayers is back inking, and it, he does like a workmanlike job, but compared to Wally Wood and John Romita, it's just really not quite the same. There are still some good panels, like uh, the top of. Page 13, Kang is agonizing over what to do. Mm-hmm. There's a panel where he, you know, the second panel where he really looks like he's agonizing. Like he's like, I don't know what to do. And so he finally is like, you know what? I'm, I love Ravana and I'm, I'm not going to kill her. And so his men try to assassinate him and he goes on the lamb and he basically recruits the Avengers to help him. He's like, okay, here's the new deal. I've lost control of my army. All of my men are against me. But if you help me, you know, save Ravana, we can rescue the city and I'll promise to let this kingdom sort of run run itself and I'll just leave. And so the, the Avengers are like, this is crazy. But on the other hand, our only other real option is just to be executed. So why not? Let's do it. Um, I should mention that all, during all this, Quicksilver's gotten away and he just sort of vanishes for the rest of the issue. Where's Quicksilver? Well, we're waiting for him to show back up. He's he's part. He's somewhere in the resistance, like out out among the commoners. He's so, wounded and, and being nursed back to health by the, the by some I don't know. I guess they're like French peasants or something. Yeah. So we get this really cool sequence where Kang and the Avengers sort of free the king and Ravana and they gather up all the king's men that they can and they arm them with weapons and they run this insurrection against Kang's own men and there's some cool stuff here where Baltag is trying to rule in Kang's place and the other leaders the other officers are like wow we have made a horrible mistake here Baltag isn't nearly as cool as Kang and Kang is going to kill us all because he's Kang and this was really a stupid idea but they're kind of, uh, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound here. And there's this giant battle where the King and Kang and the Avengers smash into the courtroom. All of Kang's former soldiers are there, and they have this giant battle. And needless to say, the Avengers and Kang end up winning. They go rushing into the throne room, and it turns out that they don't really have any more work to do because Quicksilver had gotten in there and captured everybody. So all's well that ends well, right? Well, not so much. Just as... Kang is fulfilling his end of the bargain and teleporting the Avengers back to their own time. Baltag comes out of nowhere, grabs a weapon from from a guard that's distracted, and tries to assassinate Kang. And Ravana jumps in the way and takes the laser in the face to save Kang. And so Ravana dies in Kang's arms. Kang's men turn and execute Baltag in a really... (laughs) violent panel the avengers get sent back seeing just enough of that to know that something happened but not knowing that ravana is killed right yes exactly they're just disappearing like in a star trek style transporter beam and just as they're dematerializing captain america sees baltag attacking and he shouts out a warning but then they disappear and there's nothing they can do and they don't know what happened Uh, but we as the readers know that ravana has died so does, does Ravana get mentioned? It's been a while since I read some of the other, you know, the Kang Kang stories. But does Ravana get mentioned? You know, like later in the Silver Age. Yeah, Ravana or? becomes very important in Kang's next big Avengers storyline, which isn't until she's sixty-nine to seventy-one. The the, the growing man and uh, 
the uh, they fight the invaders, right? Yep, that's exactly right. Kang is okay. in a contest with the Grandmaster, and if Kang wins, he gets the power of life and death, so he can bring Ravana back to life. That's why he's playing. Okay, I and remember. He, okay, he, I remember that now. Yeah, he chooses the Avengers as his champions, but when the Avengers win and he's given the power of life or death, he decides to use his power to kill the Avengers instead of save Ravana. And what a jerk. Yep. Unfortunately for him, what he didn't realize is that there was someone in the story that wasn't actually an Avenger. And that's the Black Knight. And so when he uses his power to cripple all, you know, all the Avengers, it doesn't work in the Black Knight, and the Black Knight creams him with his magic sword. And That's right. Yeah, I haven't Kang read that. Kang loses his power, this power over life and death, and then he's left with nothing, and Ravana's still dead. He keeps Ravana in this, like... Uh, in one of these glass tubes where she's perfectly preserved at the moment of her death so he can bring her back. And so she she's like in the background as a prop for like the next 30 years. Ravana ended up actually in the Walt Simonson era. It's incredibly complex and not at all clear what's happening, but eventually, essentially in one version of reality, she ends up marrying Immortus in Limbo, a version of her that never died from an alternate reality, but then another alternate reality version of her ends up killing Kang. Is this the, Kang. The, the, council, the Council of Kangs? Yeah, in that there's a female Kang who's calling herself Nebula, but it's not the character Nebula that's Thanos' granddaughter, who is also in like the same time period of Avengers. So there's two characters that look almost identical with the same name, but one of them is Thanos' granddaughter. The other is actually Ravana, who killed her version of Kang in her timeline and became that timeline's Kang, but is actually Ravana using his technology. And then she became Nebula and mind controlled all the avengers i could be getting this wrong because it really doesn't make any sense <laughs> so the less said about that the better but yeah ravana becomes a very important character i love this two-parter i love kang i think this is great and it's very important for his character development he was very one note in issues eight and particularly in issue 11 he's just like random you know time traveling warlord guy there's really nothing interesting about him but in this storyline he gets a lot of complexity in terms of his moral code as a warrior and as a man it just it gives him a lot of complexity that a lot of later writers ignored but some used to really good effect, particularly Kurt Busiek. After this, for me, it's a little bit downhill with the Kooky Quartet. 25 has a great cover. It, the, the composition is a little weird. They left so much empty space in the middle of it that Stan ends up just filling it with one of the biggest blurbs of the Silver Age. <laughs> just saying, enter Doctor Doom. But it's a really cool cover. The story doesn't actually live up to this at all. Um, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I... I read it for the first time in, I think it was a, uh, you know, the Master, or no, the, the Essential Avengers, whichever volume it was, and didn't like it at all. But when we were when we were doing this, I read it again just to, you know, just to, like last week. Um, and I liked it quite a bit more, maybe looking at it in color online. Uh, I liked it a little bit more. I mean, I, I wasn't like just completely sneering and hating it like the first time I read it. But it's still pretty. It's still pretty stupid, and has a lot of like things where you can kind of go, "Well, that's that doesn't really make any sense." I'm just gonna it's, go over the plot really fast because there's no point in dwelling on it. But basically, it's a it's a Doombot. This is the first yeah. appearance of of a Doombot. <laughs> yeah, this this is. I think Byrne would definitely retcon this into a Doombot because Doctor Doom has a cunning plan, which is to mail a letter to Quicksilver saying that he's Quicksilver's dad, and so Quicksilver's like. 
oh my God, Wanda, are, we have parents and uh, relatives. They want to see us. And so the Avengers all just like, they don't, they don't like have a Quinjet or something at this point. So they just take probably a, a boat. I don't know. They, they mosey on over to Europe and they arrive. They're in their civvies at the train station. <laughs> yeah. And they arrive in Latveria and then the police show up to arrest them. And they're like, <laughs> Oh, it's funny. It's so funny. I was like, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But this I'm is saying- why I can't get that I can't be that mad at this story because I find it is hilarious. They're like, hey, Latveria, I've heard of that before. There's something Oh, isn't this the country where Doctor Doom is the king? <laughs> yep. Panel page eight. Captain America, they're in, in jail, and Cap goes, In all the excitement, none of us stopped to ask, Who is the ruler of Latveria? I've just realized the answer. And uh, someone who I assume is Hawkeye says off from off panel, Suffering cats! <laughs> <laughs> You're right! This is Doctor Doom's pocket kingdom. Oh my god. No, in, their def- in, the, in their defense, I think that's kind of a recent thing. I think where Doctor Doom becomes the leader of the ruler of Latveria, the second Fantastic Four annual. Because in the in the in his previous appearances, they don't say anything about Latveria. I don't think it's don't still hilarious. Don't they read the newspaper? You know, Tona is like it, when that happens. It's like you know, it's it's it should have been a big deal. It's like, hey, Doctor Doom, this the, the the biggest villain in the Marvel universe. He's become the leader of Latveria. And since they didn't like fly over there in a Quinjet, they went over as civilians and come arrive in a train, like their travel agent. Like, hasn't the State Department issued any warnings about traveling to Latveria? I don't really understand how this works. It's just, I, I couldn't believe. <laughs> They're like, oh, hey, that's right. Oh, I've heard of Latveria before. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Doom, the whole reason Doom has brought them here is because he wants to defeat them to so that the yeah, Fantastic this, Four will be scared of him. This is what made me think of a Doombot because of how low and petty Dr. Doom seems here. So the Avengers escape because once again, Wanda weighs her finger and gets them out of prison because she does that it's a, a little lot. Teeny, it's a little teeny hex and breaks a lot. And they're like, let's just get out of here. Let's just get out of here. But they can't because Dr. Doom encases the entire country in a giant plastic <laughs> dome. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, okay, never mind. Let's instead... Let's go fight Dr. Doom. So they go to Doom's castle. They fight Doom. And he kind of kicks all their butts. He's been reading the previous issues. so And he knows that Wanda can, like, kick his ass. So he's developed this, uh, I don't know, this special hex-free field or something like that. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. I've got that in my notes here. He just she presses points a button. at him and nothing happens. And he calls her power childish. <laughs> This issue is particularly ridiculous when you're looking at these characters from a modern perspective. We have the Scarlet Witch who literally reshaped all of reality just uh, because of a subconscious whim. And here, Doctor Doom has basically um, a freeze ray that when he hits a button, it turns her powers off completely. She should have hexed before he pushed the button. I guess so. I guess this is like a Magic the Gathering timing issue, whether the counter spell goes off. So Doom is just on the verge of winning when Hawkeye shoots him with an arrow that starts that has acid that starts disintegrating part of his armor, and Doctor Doom just flips out and runs away. <laughs> He's like, "I've got to change my armor. Next time I'm gonna <laughs> coat it so people can't just like disintegrate it with a trick arrow." Oh, and don't forget the part where uh, the Fantastic Four do decide to go save them, but the the State Department they don't want an international incident. They should have thought of that before they let the Avengers just wander. Into Latveria. They didn't go as the Avengers. They used their civilian identities. 
I don't know. I'm just and the Fantastic Four can't do that because they don't have secret identities. So the Avengers get a second crack at him, and it goes a little bit better. And uh, they manage to. Is escape. there really that much left in the story? It, it's just a. It's just another second fight scene. And they get away because Hawkeye uses a sneeze smog arrow, which causes a cloud of sneeze gas, which gets inside Dr. Doom's armor. And he's overcome by a fit of sneezing for such a length of time that the Avengers are able to escape the entire country. It's a little country. <laughs> That's a big, it's a big sneeze is the way I would. They ran out. The, the, the train wasn't leaving for a while, so they, walked, they got on the Latvian Express bus. That connects to Liechtenstein. This issue's so bad. There's actually there's also a subplot that I didn't mention where there's a crippled kid who wants to go to America to get surgery so he can walk again and Doom oh, and go and like all the um, peasants that are worshiping Doom immediately turn on him and then none of that's ever mentioned again. <laughs> I think this is the first Doom bot. I don't know who made it because I would think that if Doctor Doom is so great, he wouldn't create all these Doom bots that do so many stupid things. It's one of the worst Doctor Doom stories. Probably ever. It's so bad. Oh, I don't know about that. When he was appearing outside of the Fantastic Four, they're almost universally bad. So after this issue, we get a three-parter, a loose, loosely defined three-part storyline. The um, return of Giant Man and the Wasp. Yeah. So in issue 26, um, we get the return of the Wasp. Of course, we have the Avengers fighting amongst themselves, as always, at the beginning. But then... We cut away to Hank and Jan are on a boat and a scientific a scientific cruise and I, and I just I'm reading through the Submariner stories and tells to astonish and I just I, I just by coincidence I just read that one a few weeks ago well, you know that they they mention it I think in Avengers 26 that you know if, yeah. if you saw a tells to astonish number 77 and uh, yeah for some reason. Uh, Hank can't turn into Giant Man. Uh, oh, I think they go into that in the, in the, in the Avengers in an issue two or issue or two later. Yeah, he's it's one of these things where he's put so much strain on his body that it's it's too dangerous. So he's like, <laughs> uh, you know, we need to get help um, because so, the Submariner is going to attack New York. The Wasp volunteers to fly to the mainland because the ship is disabled. No, the radio is disabled. They can't warn anybody. So the wasp goes, well, I've still got my wasp powers. I can fly. But she doesn't really have a costume with her because, you know, they decided to, like, to forget they were superheroes for a while and don't have, and they left their costumes at home on purpose or whatever. So she kind of lets her bathing suit passes her as her suit, as her, as her, you know, her costume. And because it's too far to fly, because she's only about an inch tall, she, she rests every once in a while in her bathing suit, you know, like just, just. You know, she turns full size, she lays in the water, she treads water, and she does that every once in a while, flying to the mainland. Because they're going really out, they're going out of their way to make this make sense, right? Because <laughs> how could she fly all the way to the mainland? And, uh, and Atuma gets her, right? Yeah, the bathing suit becomes a plot point, because Wasp is like, ah, he was, he's not oh, going to recognize right. me, because I'm wearing a bathing suit. Yeah, they had met, they had, Giant Man and the Wasp had met Atuma in, uh, you know, when, when they still had their series, and weren't just guest starring in the Submariner, they had fought Atuma. So Atuma's on his way to destroy the surface world, as he always is, and the Wasp manages to get free from him, and, and long enough to use the radio on his ship to radio the Avengers for help. And they're like, okay, uh, and at this point they've given all the members of the team, like, these yeah. signal watches, like Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> And there's a great this is, this is where... what they're fighting about for a lot of this is because it's the 
the message the message machine that, that Tony Stark has developed, uh, and, and you have to have a code to activate the message. And Captain America is doing what he what he does all the time. This time is being like a kind of a, an authoritarian jerk about it. And you know, like, listen, you've got to pay really close attention. And Hawkeye, who is ready to take offense at anything anybody says, just starts. You know, he's being a jerk too, and being a whole big jerk about it. And this is also a plot point because he's not there when the Wasp's message comes. In. Right, and he and he can't answer his. Avenger yeah. signal because he is enjoying the adulation of the lovely showgirls in an East Side nightclub, and one of them <laughs> wants to see his Hawkeye ring and drops it, and it like breaks or something, uh, because they're, the Avengers are trying to signal him, and Captain America's finally like, "Well, screw him. We don't need him anyway. Let's just go without him." God, it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dumb. So the rest of the team shows up. They they find Atuma and they fight Atuma and they have one of these things where Atuma defeats them all and one of his guards is like, "Yeah, that's great, except they, you know, they can't breathe water. So this is you're kind of cheating." So Atuma's like, "You know what? Let's <laughs> let's revive them so I can beat them all again to prove <laughs> to prove it and so they start fighting again and the avengers during the fight accidentally crack open this side of their submarine and it fills with water and this time all the people watching are like well they're all going to drown because they can't swim or breathe the water this this didn't make sense to me how they're like you've got to prove yourself in combat against these guys because you know they they're not used to being underwater and then when the ship fills with water and they're all like going under and Atuma's trashing them underwater because you know they can't really swim that well and they can't sort of can't fight swimming all of the same people that just said that are like well this is totally fair this is fair uh, well Wanda did it to herself so at the end of the issue Hawkeye gets back and he's like wait a minute I know I can use the message machine that Cap was badgering me about only he can't <laughs> doesn't know how to turn it on because he, he can't remember the code remember the four the code. digit code so then he remembers there's a different machine that Tony Stark had built that will allow him to remember the code. So he straps himself into it, and while he's there, a mysterious figure appears. Cliffhanger. <laughs> and in this case, it is not it is not someone you would guess in a million guesses. No, because it's the beetle. Yeah, the beetle. And so the beetle is just, like, attacking Hawkeye and trying to cream him. Hawkeye. But now you're in the next. You're in the next issue in number yeah, twenty-seven. Yeah. In issue twenty-seven, what I like about this sequence is Hawkeye's actually not even paying attention to the fight he's currently in, because the Beetle's trying to trash him and he's fighting Beetle, but all he's doing is like maneuvering himself over to the view screen so he can punch in the code so he can get the message <laughs> from last issue. And then once he gets it, he just leaves. <laughs> well, come on, it's the Beetle. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be so embarrassing for the Beetle. The Beetle's like, I'm going to kill you. And Hawkeye's like, uh-huh. Hold on, I got, a te- I got a text message. I got to take care. Sure, hold on. Oh, got to go. <laughs> so Hawkeye flies out there, and uh, Tuma defeats the Avengers, but Quicksilver gets himself in a torpedo tube and gets fired out into the ocean. <laughs> Hawkeye uh, rescues him, and they go sailing in. Atuma's about to destroy the world, basically, and Captain America the, is like the tide. He has that tidal machine. Yeah, it's gonna like it's gonna magically have enough water to create really huge tides, and and, and so that the humans will only be able to live in like the mountainous plateaus and things, and and and, and they're gonna t- and the, the Atuma and his barbarians are gonna take over all the lowland areas because they're all all be underwater. There, there's the thing here I like where Stan basically. You know, uses the old trope of the um, the supervillain telling what his plan is. 
where Captain America, he's, Atuma's about to destroy the world with this thing, and Captain America's like, things look pretty hopeless, this is a thought balloon. He's got one weak chink in his armor. This is the time for me to play upon his colossal vanity. And so he starts talking to Scarlet Witch. He's like, ah, you know, this is, this is a bunch of crap. He doesn't really have this machine. He can't do anything. And Atuma gets so pissed off at Cap that he spends, like, the next two pages talking about how great he is. <laughs> and while he's doing that, Hawkeye and Quicksilver show up and attack. And uh, basically Wanda uses her hex to free them because that's she's their get out of jail free card and hawkeye and quicksilver fight their way onto the ship and they're surrounded by like a hundred guys and they're about to die in this very sort of um butch cassidy and the sundance kid sequence when captain america and the scarlet witch show up and there's a big fight and the wave machine is destroyed the end except when the avengers run back to avengers mansion they find there's another new message waiting for them and it concerns the wasp. A wasp. That's right. She's kidnapped or something. Yeah. One thing, like, basically the reader is challenged to figure out, why wasn't the wasp still on a Tuma ship? And that's a really good question, because when you start to read the next issue, the explanation doesn't really make any sense. Okay. But before we go, let's just talk about a Tuma for a second. A Tuma sort of pops up. You know, he's in that, that he's in this Avengers and he's in the, uh, in that, that tells to astonish fighting giant man and, and the wasp. He, I, I think his first appearance was that fantastic four number 33, where they're, they're just given a real vague idea of, of, you know, the geography of, uh, you know, of the uh, Atlantis. And there's all these, also these barbarians and Atuma is like the leader of the barbarians. And it's actually a really good idea, you know, to have the vast oceans, the vast kind of cultures that would live under the oceans. Uh, but they, they didn't really, they didn't really use it very well for quite a while. Uh, that's one of the things I, I, I really like about, you know, reading the, uh, uh, reading the Tells to Astonish, the Submariner series, which I'm reading a, a lot of those for the first time, is, is to see, uh, you know, how, how they use Atuma in Submariner series, where they're not really trying to come up with a way for him to be challenging to the Avengers or Giant Man. They're, they're having them in his element in the water, and I'm hoping that they turn out to be a lot better. I'm not, I'm not a fan of Atuma, but to be fair, I'm not a fan of really any underwater characters, either heroes or villains. Uh, I just find the whole setting to be boring. Um, so Atuma for me, I can't say I've ever read an Atuma story that I particularly like. There's a pretty I good one. I think when, I, when I first started reading comics, I read the first few issues of Supervillain Team-Up, and I think he's I think he's used really good there. Yeah, I was about to say, the only one I can think of that I liked was the, the crossover Avengers 154, 155, and Supervillain Team-Up 9 with Atuma and Doctor Doom. That's a good storyline. But for the most part, I'm just not, not really a fan. So, back to issue 28, Hank Pym contacts the Avengers. He's like, hey, I'm Hank Pym. I used to be Giant Man. They're like... Great, it's Giant Man's secret identity. Who cares? Nobody cares. It's a bit where Hawkeye is going, this could just be some dude. That Hawkeye can't just say like, oh, wow, Giant Man. He's all like, he has to start arguing about it. Yeah, but he's got a good point, especially after a hologram of Iron Man convinced them to let Swordsman join the team. Yeah. I think just a voice on the radio telling them that it's Giant Man it probably shouldn't fly at this point. But Hawkeye is, is, of course, kind of rude about it. 
Well, of course he is. You know, Hawkeye is actually kind of rude about everything in this issue because he rightly thinks, wait, if Giant Man's back, I'm just going to be a second fiddle because Giant Man's way more powerful. And uh, he's kind of correct because what happens in this issue is it turns out the Wasp isn't captured by the Collector, who's a new supervillain. The Collector challenges the rest of the Avengers to fight him because he wants to capture them and add them to his collection. And there's a whole giant, no pun intended, sequence where... Hank proves these giant man by becoming a giant, and then there's just page after page of giant man fighting the collector. The beetle is like one part of the collection yes. now, the collector's collection, and he's got some kind of a he's hypnotized or whatever, and must do what the collector tells him to do. Yeah, and so that's why he was in Avengers Mansion in number twenty-seven. Yeah, Stan plays a little fast and loose with things here, so it explains why the Beetle is in twenty-seven. When we get to Jan in who's been captured by the collector. She's like, last thing I remember, I had gotten to Avengers Mansion and radioed Hank that I was coming back. We didn't see any of that in 27. Last we knew, she was being held captive by a Tuma. Somehow she got free from the submarine, got to the surface, (laughs) flew all the way to New York City and got captured by the Beetle all off screen. Uh, I think that the... uh, the the Avengers must have been like startlingly difficult to write and keep track of things because there's they've got a few issues here, maybe the next 20 issues or so, where they have weird little things like that. Like the, the famous bit where uh, the bad guys disintegrate uh, Captain America's shield. It appears three or four pages later with absolutely no explanation, and there's never any discussion about that incident. <laughs> there was a lot of little weird things. I had mentioned earlier, the collector in this issue is a complete non-entity, and basically all he does is he's got, like, these giants in his collection. He's got, like, different weirdos in his collection that he has attacked the Avengers. It felt very, very similar to me to the way that Immortus worked in issue 10, where he would just summon, like, the biblical Goliath to fight for him and like the biblical Hercules and he was just summoning Merlin he was just like had all these people that would fight for him I kind of wondered reading this why they didn't just use a mortis in the story especially since they had teased in issue 16 that he was going to be coming back to fight the Avengers yeah. you're right they could this could very easily be an Immortus story you know just with a few little minor changes I don't see why Immortus couldn't like you know put the beetle under his thrall Immortus isn't even a, a very well developed character of any kind yeah that comes much later yeah, another weird thing in this issue that I didn't buy at all is when Hank turns into Goliath, he is like, oh, I'm going to prove to you that I am who I say I am by turning giant. And Wanda goes, wait, hold on. I've been making a costume for you in case you came back to the team. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Just because Wanda it's... is female, she spends all her time sewing random costumes for people that aren't even <laughs> on the squad. I mean, I know that they were doing it because they wanted an excuse for why he had a new costume in this issue, even though he was retired at this point. But I would much rather have had Quicksilver be the person who made the costume. Like, he has no other character traits. Maybe he's a seamstress in his spare time. Maybe that's he's really into making costume design. Uh, because it just didn't, to me, it did not fit in with anything we've seen from Wanda before or since. And then yeah. when, he, when he puts on the costume, he turns into it and um, Captain America's like, oh, you're a real Goliath. And Hey, that's a much better name than Giant Man. Yeah, he's like, a Giant Man was a stupid name. I'm going to call myself Goliath from now on. Okay, sure. And then, so anyway, they defeat the Collector and they free Jan. But when Hank tries to shrink back down to size, he gets stuck at 10 feet and passes out because he he warned everyone that he wasn't supposed to be doing this and they wouldn't believe him. And that's the big cliffhanger for next issue. Okay, yeah, because I when I uh, when I was reading that, you know, for our for our discussion, I was I, I thought about going on. I thought about going on and reading because 
you know, they have these little cliffhangers. But then I, but then I was remembering, man, this is this is not a really such a great time for the Avengers. No, this is a good place to stop. I think the next issue is the Sons of the Serpent is a good storyline, but for me, after the Kooky Quartet, we hit a, a pretty big down patch for me until around issue say forty one. In terms of a conversation about Goliath, one of the reasons. This may be apocryphal, but supposedly one of the reasons that Stan brought him back is he thought that having a giant on the cover would sell comics. And you see he's on the cover of issue 28, and Goliath is featured prominently on every cover of Avengers from issue 28 until Hercules shows up in issues 38 and 39. And then we get Hercules instead of Goliath on like every cover for the next several issues in a row. Um, I love that Goliath costume. That uh, you know the yeah. one that, the, that Wanda, the one that Wanda, that Wanda had like designed and, and sewed and created, you know, because she's a girl and girls do things like that. You got to give her credit. That is a really nice looking costume. Yeah, I think this is his best costume. Uh, I think I think this is his best one. I liked it. They went back to this many years later during the Busick run. He went back to this costume. I think it was a good choice. Uh, but at the end of this issue, Hank and Jan are back on the team, and so the Caps Kooky Quartet era officially comes to the to an end at the end of issue 28 when Goliath and Wasp rejoin the team officially. So these issues, it was just over a year, 13 issues total from 16 to 28, and. It, it did a lot of interesting things. I think the main legacy of these issues is introducing particularly Hawkeye and the Scarlet Witch, but also Quicksilver to the Avengers. These are three characters who are very important to the team. And Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch are, you know, when you think of Avengers, those are two of the characters you think of first. So looking back on it now, what do you think the legacy is for Cap's Kooky Quartet? I know you had mentioned that Marvel recently did like a throwback series set during Cap's Kooky Quartet, and you felt like it really didn't do justice to those stories. So I get, you know, I guess like what I'm saying is that they do have a, it, the, the period does have a really strong legacy, you know, looking at the next, you know, I don't know, I guess 15 or 20 years. But today I, I because I, I don't actually read the Avengers except for those, those issues that they did of looking back at Cap's Scooby Quartet, I, I'm not sure there really is much of a legacy for that anymore. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because I, as you mentioned for the 15, 20 years that followed, the series was really given a lot of uh, prominence within Avengers. The characters would reference that period a lot, and as a fan, you sort of knew what the Caps Cookie Quartet was, even if you had never read the stories, because it was such a famous moment in the series' history. But of course, I feel like a lot of Avengers' history has sort of been lost or intentionally destroyed over the last 10, 12 years by Marvel. So that's. It's sad, but it's it's not really a surprise. That's it for this episode of the Classic Comics Forum podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Hoosier X. I hope you enjoyed our look at the Cap's kooky quartet era of Avengers. Next time, I'll be joined by forum member Outrageous to discuss a storyline that had a lot of personal meaning for her, Wonder Woman, Space Pirate. So, I hope you'll join us next time, and as always, you can visit us online at classiccomics.org to join in the conversation.